HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market, a dynamic leader in the quality food business, a mission-driven company that aims to set the standards of excellence for food retailers. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Har- Harlan. See, I'm already screwing up my own name because I'm with these two jerks. <laughs> Big right, sister, head jerk, Gia Giaslo, Gia Sulo, yeah, and Peter Freeman. Well, because I always Strike call two. you, I'm like, Gia Pete! You know, like, <laughs> it, it's, it's one of those things when you know two people and they're usually in the same place and same time you kind of like compound their name, but... Pete and Gia of Brooklyn Pharmacy, one of the most wonderful places on earth. And a corner spot at that. And what did I just learn about corner spaces? That a corner store means more. It does. (laughs) At Henry and Sackett Street in Carroll Gardens, Mm -hmm. there was a revival, a phoenixology of, of, of an American original, The Soda Fountain. And if you haven't been there or don't know what a soda fountain is, we're going to get to that. But first, we want to know who you two are and... Why the heck you decided to open up this business? Mm. Were those decisions we made? <laughs> I, I feel like that's a question we ask ourselves yeah. every day. <laughs> the, the show Who am I and what am I doing It's here? all existential <laughs> rhetoric today. Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, as in anything, there's things that lead up to the decisions that you make. And sometimes they're decisions and sometimes you just sort of go with the flow. Um, but in our case, um, I think we were both at a juncture in our life where we were seeking rele- relevance. Um, I was having the, the, the midlife crisis and I had been sitting in front of a computer for about 25 years doing graphic design and had really gotten to the point for myself where I wanted to be three-dimensional. Um, and so um, working with my little brother is probably about as three-dimensional as it can get. <laughs> Sometimes four-dimensional. But <laughs> uh, 
Um, but, uh, you know, we just were at a cross points in our life for both of us. And, and PD landed in Brooklyn and, and above the 513 Henry Street, um, which was a, a, a pharmacy really for, for almost 60 years in Carroll Gardens, but had been in an effect sort of shut down, boarded up, um, and it was a sort of eyesore, but also a mystery in the neighborhood. Um, and, um, well, I'll let you sort of take on Pete cause you were, you were the one who discovered this. this well, I mean, I feel bit. like it was, you know, it was, it was a, um, kind of a wild complex story and there was people in and out and, you know, there was the concept of the soda fountain and there was the concept of, of, a place within the kind of uh, burgeoning food movement in Brooklyn. Um, it felt like there was a, there was a place, there was a, a, a an open spot for something like the Soda Fountain to make its revival. And uh, in conversations with G at the time, I was like, oh, this, that, and the other thing. And, and she was like, well, you should do this. You should do that. I'm you the should sister. do this. <laughs> you should do that. And I was like, damn, why don't you come and do it? <laughs> why don't you keep, t- stop telling me what to do and just join in um and, and i think at, at that point that she was like okay um and so you know together we came to this place where we were both really committed to it and we were very much um ready to kind of lay down the the, the lay down our lives to, to make it happen um and sometimes even that's not enough uh and so you know we were kind of blessed with the uh the the good fortune of um taking it as far as we could possibly taking it and then we got a little bump from a reality tv show um which is still kind of a funny yeah <laughs> which is, that, that was the concept from the beginning <laughs> yeah. right like and, get it to a certain point and then then have reality tv yeah and now, now you're in the reality of owning right. operating yeah. Brooklyn I, well, I always ask pd if he ever had a plan b and he's like oh yeah that was the plan b <laughs> um, i mean the thing is is that we, we we were fortunate enough to be, you know, we had a space in front of us that was absolutely gorgeous. Um, it was, um, you know, sort of had a myriad of, of, of different owners, but in fact, nobody had ever really moved out from um, the early 1900s. And so there was, a, you know, a collection of um, medicinal, you know, bottles and apothecary, um, you know, cabinets, etc. And nobody had ever moved out. Um, and so it was a time capsule of sorts. Um pharmacies give birth to the soda fountain this particular pharmacy didn't have a soda fountain but it was almost begging for it the space was so beautiful in itself i mean our you know from the moment we we laid eyes on it it was in every decision that we've made since then has always been to look back to what the space was what the building was um and what the um you know what the atmosphere was and this was um, a pharmacy for almost 60 years in Carroll Gardens that um, still some of the old-timers in the neighborhood remember coming and getting their prescriptions filled. They remember that the, it was the two generations of pharmacists. And so they had a place in the neighborhood. And, um, you know, it's, it, it's for us wonderful to have revived a place that already had quite a life to itself. Well, I mean, you walk into the space and it says Longo's on the floor, right. you know, in, in beautiful tile. So it looks like there's a history there already, but the way you spell pharmacy with an F is a riff on the idea of pharmacy with a PH. Right. Because again, the the soda fountain was a place where you came and got your RXs, your prescriptions. It, it was it was kind of like a catch-all for for a neighborhood. Right. Um, can, can you explain about that 
change, you know, where it went from a pH pharmacy to a soda fountain. Historically, historically. So the 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 one. Um, well, well, just before you okay. before you, it um it actually went from it went from the F to the pH, and then back to the F, right? Because if you look at the the origins of pharmacies, that it was it was botanicals um, that a lot of times you know like Penix, which was the first um, kind of wholesale of, of pharmaceutical botanicals. It, it was all. It was stuff that was grown and made into powders, which were then, you know, compounded into tinctures or solves. Um, and, 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 and then, and then the, the, the synthetics took over from the botanicals. And so what we've, we've sought to do is actually, instead of taking it from one thing into something new, taking it from something new back to something old. I mean, I think you've also told me before that seltzer, I mean, was like the aspirin of its day. Right. Uh, it, it, it was medicinal in its purposes. Right. I mean, that still uh, is. Yeah. I mean, seltzer <laughs> is still something that we, you know, in, in, imbibe when we're, you know, have an upset stomach. But it, it is the, you know, at one point, pharmacies were the only ones that were licensed to actually prescribe seltzer. Um, I mean, seltzer was something that, in fact, harking back to the American Indians who showed the, the early settlers where their springs were and where their medicinal springs were. Um, and, you know, through lots of different trial and error um, experiments, carbonation was actually able to be harnessed and to, you know, rather than going and bottling something from a spring, that you could actually create that in, in a confined environment. Um, so what we say is we're putting the farm back in pharmacy. Putting the farm back in pharmacy. Yeah. Um, but the the I always like to think of the pharmacist, you know, the, once seltzer was flowing from the pharmacy, um he was he became almost like a Jekyll and Hyde kind of creature because you know he had soda water flowing and it wasn't long before he could put in something sweet and sort of make the medicine go down a little bit smoother um not sure sort of what what they were putting in all that seltzer water to begin with but um probably sure. was a little bit of this and a little bit of that too um and so the the pharmacist was really in fact the first soda jerk um and you know, the, the soda jerk has sort of evolved over the years and, and through different um, sort of twists and turns in, historically in, in prohibition, et cetera. But the, the first soda jerk, in fact, was a, was a pharmacist. Um, and so, and seltzer is still something that's flowing from our, from our soda fountain. It, it, it is the fountain. Let, let's talk about jerk for a second because we say that like euphemistically. We, we, it's, a, it's a nice term. And I love that you guys sell the t-shirt that says jerk on it. Right. And I saw someone wearing it literally uh, in San Francisco and someone else asked like, why does it say jerk and had no idea what a soda fountain was. <laughs> Just thought it was like them being a jerk wearing a jerk shirt. Right. What, what is a jerk? How, how does it play into Brooklyn Pharmacy? Well, first of all, my brother is a jerk. <laughs> he is the head jerk. <laughs> he is the jerk. Um, I mean, I, I'll describe it, and then Peter can sort of, he's living it. Um, <laughs> the, the soda jerk, in fact, is the person who's making your drinks, you know, making your sundaes, making your sodas, etc. Um, the term jerk, is you know, obviously it's a verb, it's an adjective, and it's a noun. Um, but it is actually describing the action of um, the, the pullback on the seltzer. Um, to release the seltzer, so it's it's there's a jerking motion. Well, it's right. I mean it's it's an adjective, noun, and a verb. I just said that. 
We just add you to the now. He's just reinforcing. I can jerk kiss somebody, but like, but but really, at its heart, it it is a verb, right? Um, whereas it has evolved to become an adjective um, these days when you call someone a jerk. But really, it's it's a verb. You're jerking, you're jerking seltzer. Um, I was actually going to get a tattoo on my forearm. It said jerk, but then I realized if I ever stopped being a soda jerk, yeah. like, it would be Well, that's why it would, make, it would ensure that you would still be a soda, soda jerk. jerk. No, and a lot of people ask us, or what, what, why the jerk? What is, what is the jerk? I mean, part of it is just was sort of a joke that when we first opened, I told Peter that I was going to make him a jerk shirt. Cause it, no, no, no. no it was, it, remember, it was, it was, I, wanted a, I wanted a shirt that had um, a, a, f- a full egg cream glass on the front that said jerk on. And on the back, it was an empty glass, and it said, jerk off. And I said, no. She she said, no. She said, I'll I'll make you a shirt that just says, jerk. Yeah, a.k.a. Big Sister. Um, Exactly. Um, That would be great to have a shirt that said, jerk off with an empty (laughs) cream glass. We could we could maybe do yeah. that now. Yeah, now. now we could do that. So, now that we're established. You know, the, the idea of a jerk too, uh, obviously, is an attitude. You know, and and Peter certainly carries that swagger. Um, but that attitude comes from you know. Both sides, even though your brother and sister are two different fathers, both sides of your family, you know, Peter's years worked in mercantile department store and Gia's years was a shopkeep in Greenwich Village. So there's this idea of serving the public or working within the public that you guys both intrinsically have. Mm-hmm. I mean, how important is that to, you know, running a shop, a soda fountain? Well, I, I mean, you know... Neither and I, neither Peter and I are technically foodies, and um, what we really, I think, prescribe and um, sell and deliver, hopefully, well, is an experience. And I think that both of us come from you know backgrounds. And um, my father was a shopkeeper. I think that for us, what we're hoping. Um, <clears throat> to to provide for people as an experience. Um, so just going back to the soda jerk and, and the personality of the soda jerk, the soda jerk really developed, I think, um, you know, when Prohibition came to America and, you know, the, all of a sudden the bars were cleaned out. There were a lot of really great barmen who left the saloons and they needed a job and the, the soda fountain embraced the barman. And so the soda jerk was someone who had flair and who had panache and who was an entertainer a little bit, and um, and provided. And if you have these qualities and want a job, <laughs> exactly. It's funny because when we, you know, when we advertise for a soda jerk, you know, every once in a while we'll get someone who has ice cream scooping experience. But you realize it's sort of a, it's 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 a, you know, it's a trade that people haven't been trained in so much. But it is really the soda jerk is somebody who enjoys entertaining, enjoys providing atmosphere for people. Because I think you know, again, the soda fountain kind of provides a place where. If you're young, you're old, you're, you know, from 2 to 90, um, you you feel comfortable there and you can come in and it has a quality of being in a bar because there's a long counter with nine twirling red stools um, and you can sidle right up to the bar and start to talk to the jerk. And that's that's what a good barman does and that's what a good soda jerk does. I mean, in a sense, a soda fountain was a bar at a time when it was speaking. They've been around since what? The Except mid-1800s. Except your drunk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're not sure. They might come in that way. But, you know, since the mid-1800s, uh, there was this idea of the soda fountain and went through many iterations, you know, through through the Golden Age, through the Great Depression, through, you know, World War II and afterwards. Uh, but it's always been that watering hole of some right. sort. Especially right. when they're putting amphetamines in the soda. 
<laughs> barbiturates. They really had a great uh, you're, clientele. You're not going to come back around and bring the soda fountain to the amphetamine barbiturate. No, no, no. I'd no. love to. No. <laughs> <laughs> I think that one of the things that's so incredibly charming about the soda fountain is that, A, it's a quintessentially American phenomenon. I mean, you know, we, we have people that come from, you know, pretty much all over the world, and they don't have soda fountains in Australia, and they didn't have soda fountains in Japan. So it's a very... You know, you walk in, this is a quintessentially American establishment. It's where the soda was born. Um, and um, it's an it's a industry that, in fact, went through so many different, you know, kind of reinvented itself at every twist and turn um, up until the 1950s. I mean, it, it went through the Golden Age and the Gilded Age. It went through, you know, the... the, the the fever around, you know, the industry um, of equipment and carbonation. It went, you know, through the Depression. It went through Prohibition. So it, it, the Soda Fountain had, you know, for, for you know, quite a big chunk of American history responded as an industry and um, in a very excited way um, and reflected what was going on socially, politically in America. Um, and, and here we are. <laughs> right, so... What we're coming out of is the like the non-existent era, right? <laughs> right. Where it kind of got swallowed up by the other, um, the other industries, you know, like it, it, it wasn't big enough to be a restaurant, and it wasn't small enough to be a cafe, and it, it got swallowed up by the you know the kind of the monopolization and and consumer drive of the pharmacy, you know. So it, it kind of lost its. I think after World War II, like it kind of it became, it became a little bit of everything and, and a lot of nothing. Yeah. I mean, it's still something that, you know, the story is still kind of playing itself out in a way. And I think when we opened up the soda fountain, Peter and I either were, you know, just, you know, not smart. It's, you know, people say, did you plan this? It's like, well, no. But we have, um, <laughs> um, we didn't realize that the soda fountain had such a strong pull on people's hearts. And that's something that we have been, you know, sort of profoundly, um, you know, touched by, amused by. I mean, it's it's amazing how many people come in with their personal story about the soda fountain in their life, whether their parents met at a soda fountain, their uncle Louis had a soda fountain. There's a there's a, a trace of history that the soda fountain had in America that affected people's lives. Um, and and it's true at a certain point, you know, whether it was just sort of industry. Ec- you know, economics, um, changing times, the soda fountain, which, you know, at one point, we don't know where this number comes from, but it, the number that's thrown around a lot is that at one point there was over 125,000 soda fountains in America, and there was one on almost every, you know, main street in America. And, um, and, and you know, as, as Peter alluded to, it's like at a certain point, both economics, um, you know, the changing times. It's like people could, you know, they had refrigerators at home. I mean, you can imagine that people didn't have refrigerators at home. Like, going down to the soda fountain and having an ice-cold something was actually pretty nice. Um, the car also really changed that. I mean, I think the impact of the car on small Main Street businesses was profound, and particularly in the soda fountain. You know, you can have a drive through or you can go get something and bring it home. The need to walk to a corner store to have an experience, it changed. Well, I mean, I think what you're alluding to is is that, you know, something that was so fundamentally a part of the collective upbringing of, of America was, in fact, incredibly precarious um, and and subject to, you know, the, the what what 
in some ways it was able to overcome you know through prohibition or through the depression and through all these things it was able to you know um provide provide and 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 morph into something that still had had relevance um it all moved a little bit too fast for it, and and it kind of got left behind. Yeah, but you know what? What I just, what I find to be the sweetest thing about all of that is, is that something's happening right now where people are coming in, and where we are now with technology and social media and and you know gadgets and stuff. What I what I find is that this the soda fountain actually is, is has an opportunity to respond again, and you know as a as a counter to that perhaps isolation that maybe people feel from all the conveniences that they've been provided. So now we have the car, we, you know, we can have the car, you can order something on the internet, you can, you know, communicate with people through Facebook. But that there's something that, that what we're seeing is, is that people are recognizing and, um, you know, celebrating what this corner store has to offer. So perhaps there's a chance that the soda fountain once again can respond to what the social experiences right now so it's a it's a tactile community everyone's <laughs> looking for their local again right. but yeah. we're actually going to take a quick break and come back and talk about not just the reinvention but the revival of the soda fountains plus floats sundays okay. egg Sounds creams good. and more you've been listening to the food scene on heritage radio network.org we'll be right back to you by Whole Foods Market. Are you a locavore? Our Northeast Regional Forager for Whole Foods Market sure is. She spends her time traveling around the New York City metro area sourcing the best new or interesting artisanal and handcrafted local products for our purchasing teams at the local store level. Part of our commitment to our local suppliers includes assisting them with the process of getting their products sold at our stores. Whether it's suggesting packaging designs, pricing, or distribution methods, she's helping some of the area's best new products reach savvy shoppers at Whole Foods Market stores. Today, New York. Tomorrow, the world. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. Hey, and welcome back to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here with (laughs) Peter and Gia of Brooklyn Pharmacy. And... You know, we were just talking about the reinvention, revival, history of the soda fountain. Luckily, you don't have to reiterate this to every single person that comes up to you, even though I know you two like telling this story. Because now there's a book. There is the soda fountain, you know, celebrating the history of uh, and the struggle. It, you know, took you guys to open up your own spot to, to, again, celebrate such an American establishment. Mm -hmm. Well, we were... um we were kind of blessed 
in many ways. Um, but one of the things we were blessed with was a front page New York Times food and dining um, article a couple of years ago. And, and a couple of things happened when that came out. One, obviously, we had new people coming in to, to visit us. People called us and told us their stories. Um, and an agent approached us and said, would you like to write a cookbook? And again, as I said before, Peter and I are not like foodies. Um, we love food, obviously. Um, but um, our response to that was like, yeah, that would be great. Let's, let's, let's write a book. But we didn't want to write a book that was just um, like kind of the newest kid on the block restaurant book. Um, we wanted to, again, sort of have some relevance to what we were doing. And so um, luckily, 10 Speed Press out of Berkeley um, agreed to the mashup that we wanted, which was to tell the story of the soda fountain. It's a history. It's not the history. It's a history. Um, what we had found is is that if you looked online and you looked around, there were lots of different you know stories and, and, and histories, but there was never um, there hadn't hadn't been a book that had been written that included history, you know, coupled with imagery, um, coupled with recipes, and so. Again, Ten Speed was was um, kind of embraced that idea of um, doing that, and so the soda fountain, in fact, is you know the first hundred pages are dedicated to the, you know, the history of the soda fountain, starting with the American Indians showing the the, the seltzer and showing the sparkling water. So um, we're very excited. It's a it's a wonderful book, and we had a great photographer. Decent. <laughs> Decent. I get, that, that was actually something you know coming on this this radio show. You know that like. I feel like, even though Michael's the host, I, I feel like I'm going to change positions and, and actually ask Michael the question. Feel free. Um, you know, we wrote this book, and he was our photographer. And I guess, you know, you, you shoot a lot of food books, um, and I, I was curious how working with us and working with the subject matter was different from... Um, <laughs> well, so it, it's really interesting, because it's going back to the point of having a local. Um, I only live a few blocks from Brooklyn Pharmacy. I was introduced to you through a neighbor of mine, Nell, who who's a childhood friend of yours. Mm-hmm. And the way things kind of fell into place, that felicity of it, just made sense to do a project like this, but do it in a way that was unlike other cookbooks that I shoot. Be there as much as I can. Mm-hmm. You know, and and see it day in day out. You know, see who goes in there day in day out, how they interact with the space, rather than kind of represent it abstractly. And I think literally the first day I walked in Brooklyn Pharmacy, I always forget the fellow's name. Maybe it's John, who has an egg cream at the counter. One to, there. St- one to stay, one to go. Yeah, one to stay, one to go, and <laughs> that blew me away. Like that that there was already this regular at a place that was, I mean, you opened in what, 2010? Yes. But that seemed like he had been there forever. Right. And the way people move into your spot and make it their home, mm-hmm. I, I just only hope that, you know, was represented somewhat in the imagery. So I didn't want to make it too poppy, too flashy. Right. I just wanted to kind of assimilate myself into the space and shoot it as if I too was a regular. Right. Well, I mean, you know, one of the things that we, we, we talk about in the book is, is that, you know, we're making Sundays where it's ice cream. So, you know, on one hand, there's, you know, recipe books, obviously, that you have to follow to a T. And one of the things that we, we, we said a lot and we played with a lot is like, let your own inner jerk come out. You know, if you, <laughs> if you like cookies, then put cookies on your Sunday. If you like peanuts, then, you know, work with peanuts. And so, you know, we've, we've invented a few funny Sundays and, and, you know, Sundays that incorporate potato chips, Sundays that incorporate. Wait. Yeah, I was actually thinking about that a lot. <laughs> was, sorry to, was was just um, one of the things that's, you know, looking at this book coming out and I'm thinking to myself, well, 
it's not super complicated. Like I feel like you know a lot of our recipes are in fact kind of simple. Um, and and at first I had a little bit of um. I don't know what the word is. I think you actually walked into the room at one point and said, I hate cookbooks. <laughs> well, you know, Gia keeps saying that, like, we're not foodies, right? You know, and, and, I, and I always say, like, well, there's foodies and there's fooders, right? You know, a foodie is somebody that goes to establishments and, you know, kind of partakes in what everybody's doing different, and, you know, kind of celebrates the, the creations. You know, a fooder is somebody that wakes up at 6 o'clock in the morning and shoves their arm up a pig's ass. You know, like, <laughs> he did not say that. that. That's how you actually open up the door at Brooklyn. <laughs> yeah, it's not a regular lock and key. It's just a- but I'm saying, like, you know, like, I've always been a fooder. Like, yeah. I, I don't know what's going on anywhere, but, you know, I, I, will, I will cook anytime, anyplace, anywhere. For any amount of people. That's true. Yeah, well, I mean, um, there's an emotional response to, you, you say it's simple, making a Sunday, but the, the the way, the sentiment that you guys use while making these Sundays, like the, you know, Mr. Potato Head itself that has the potato chips, there's a reason you wanted that Sunday to be out there. There's, there, It's not just about flavor profile. It's like you yeah. like something about it and you wanted to share it with others. Well, the, the Mr. Potato Head actually kind of started on, on Father's Day of trying to come up with a Sunday that would, would be something that would celebrate fathers. And so Peter was talking about potato chips and beer. We knew beer wasn't going to be in the Sunday. And so, you know, it ended up being potato chips. But most of our Sundays that we, that are created start with an argument and a debate. Um, and, you know, some some win. And really the, the audience kind of judges it, um, you know, the, whether things fly or not. And some of them, they don't 100% fly, but they have meaning. I mean, we had one this Sunday. Or at least a great name. <laughs> or really, the naming of the Sundays is. And that's something that actually, when soda fountains were at their height in America, one of the things that they were so genius about was naming things. And so we've actually tried to keep that jovial quality. So we had a Sunday this, this summer that, again, started with an argument, but um, it was called Just Beat It. And it was um, a wonderful beet sauce that Peter made when, when beets were at high season. And, you know, so it was almost like it was a vegetable sundae. It was. Let's call it what it was. Um, and I wouldn't say it was, you know, a sundae that flew off the menu, but the people who appreciated it really appreciated our, it. Our Easter Sunday was called uh, called a French peep show. <laughs> and like, then when the kid the kid was like, Dad, what's, what's a peep show? Oh, and I was like, well. Well, you also have your making whoopee. We had the making whoopee Sunday. Um, probably one of the Sundays that we're, we're most known for. And again, I, I feel like there's something very simple in it, but it's, 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 it's a phenomenally good Sunday, which is the, um, the Sunday of Broken Dreams, which has a lovely backstory of the, the, the beautiful pretzel rods that were on their way to the soda fountain to be presented, you know, with an egg cream. Pretzel rods are wonderful. They're, they're erect. They're sturdy. And they just were kept arriving to us broken. And we sat one night and we just were imagining the, the, the sentiment behind this pretzel rod who was you know, going to meet his glory days. And he arrived broken and we had to not use him. And so the Sunday of Broken Dreams is actually taking that broken pretzel and giving it a new life and, and credibility. What's, what's another one that's in the book? The, Cookie um, Monster. Cookie Monster. I mean, that's an okay name, but the, uh, you know, the uh, Afogazi Afogado. That's one of my favorite. Not for kids. So good. It's, it's not really for kids. It's a, you know, it's, it's, it was a, the photography on it's beautiful, and it's, it was really, it was a Sunday that took several weeks because, it was, you know, we got this beautiful, fancy uh, espresso machine, and we really wanted to um, incorporate espresso into our Sundays, but finding the right vessel and the right um, way to, because, you know, the, the hot will subvert the ice cream so if you just put it on the ice cream it'll make a mess um 
so we just, we decided on a cake which kind of soaked up the coffee and became came a you know really nice perch but you know like speaking of foodies you know an affogato is 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 something right so we couldn't just call it an affogato because we had cake we had hard shell we had whipped cream you know, affogato is very simple it's beautiful it's vanilla ice cream and espresso um, so you know there's this word fugazi right which which essentially means like a, a messed up you know it means like a, a really fucked up situation right or or something that's an imitation right so we called this sunday the afogazi Af- afogado so like in the title we're calling it out that that it is a not it's a knockoff it's not a real it's a messed up afogado so don't get all you know your don't panties in a bind when like it doesn't come out like a traditional afogado yeah yeah but i mean you, <laughs> what you guys are doing are really setting new traditions because there is the egg cream, and let's kind of finish on this because I know you have so many people that walk into Brooklyn Pharmacy and tell you you're doing it wrong, and tell you their story. So ha- a lot of people that tell us we're doing. So it how right. do you, how do you do an egg cream now? <laughs> what what is the way that Brooklyn Pharmacy makes an egg cream? My sister actually makes better egg creams than I do. Well, that was just discovered. Listen, I will tell you the one thing that um, we tell all of our employees, and and we live by it every day that the most important ingredient is love, um, and. Uh, and the, the egg cream is such, yes, there are def- definitely people who walk in and watch us, uh, you know, very closely how we're making it. Some people say you add the seltzer first. Some people say you add the milk first. Some people say you stir it like this and stir it like that. The egg cream is something that we um, give honor to. Um, it's, a, it's a New York drink. It comes from immigrants, we think. Um, it is a sweet and light drink that um, has a history and that... You know, before we opened, there were definitely, we took a poll, there were not a lot of kids who knew what egg creams were. And so we feel like that's one of our big achievements. Well, slight um, misnomer, too. Yeah. There's no egg, no cream. There's no egg, there's no cream. Well, I mean, it's just, I mean, I think for me, like, it goes it goes back to your original question. And, and there was something just this morning, you know, like, I, you know, I woke up today and I, I think I had to open the store after closing it, whatever. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm basically, like, sitting there and... And you know, and uh, literally, a father comes in with his with his two boys, um, you know, and they sit up on the red stool, and you know, the kid who must have been five years old, six years old, is like, "I want an egg cream with chocolate and vanilla," right? And, you know, and and you know, I'm thinking to myself, like, does this kid know what an egg cream is if it's not for this store that we opened, right? It, does this happen, right? Is this father able to pass this down? And I feel like my answer is no, because, you know, so when, so when you say, what's it all about? What's it all about? That's what it's all about. You know, it's about the passing of, you know, of something so simple as, you know, um, milk, seltzer, and syrup. But so important as, you know, uh, as this connection to what we're about as people and what we're about as, you know, a, a culture, um, you know, and... and, and once you lose that, you know, you really lose, you lose the, the, the kind of the essential fabric of, of what makes us human. And, you know, that's why I kind of apologize about this interview, because I, I don't think it does justice to mm. the soda fountain, the idea, the ideology of it, and Brooklyn Pharmacy either, because, you know, half the charm is being in that space with you two behind the counter and being able to have these conversations, this is this is a pretty normal conversation. I mean, less cursing, even though we're not FCC regulated. And I allowed you guys to, but I mean, walking into the pharmacy, seeing you or your staff, all you want to do is sit down and talk 
and right. you know have have an egg cream watch pete do a perfect hang on a float you know and it's it's luckily all in the book too but the the, the real beauty is being there so if anyone's listening hmm. i know a lot of people yeah <laughs> everybody's listening to this one <laughs> do yourself a favor and go into brooklyn pharmacy because that you know, that's where it really happens. Yeah. And that's where this conversation extends itself. So I only hope people, you know, stop by, see, uh, see, you know, old traditions, make new ones, and uh, never have to worry about the revival of the soda fountain again, because, you know, it, it, it should be here to stay. We get up every day trying to revive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Michael. And even more so, uh, it's funny that I mentioned this, There, you want to immerse yourself into the, you know, Brooklyn Pharmacy, you guys have a B and B upstairs now. Yeah, we do. We yeah, do. we're a little so, guest apartment. Do, I mean, do it's, the it's, whole don't, 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 don't tell like Schneiderman yeah. or who, who's the, who's the DA for yeah. me like that. <laughs> but I mean, do the do the whole soda fountain yeah. experience yeah. because again, it's finding that local that corner spot, and it, it is just such a home to the rest of the neighborhood. And I'm so glad that you know uh, I live around the corner. Well, you're making me your cry. Corner establishment. Make me cry, Michael. Yeah, so it's a very sweet spot, and you know that we get up every day and try to make it as sweet as can be. I mean, really do, and yeah. a lot of love there. So love get there. the book, get your ass <laughs> into Brooklyn Pharmacy, and uh, have yourself an egg cream. <laughs> Thanks, Pete and Gia. You Thank got you. Thank You've been listening to the Food Scene on Heritage Radio Network.org. Hope to have you back here next Tuesday at three. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.